0: everyone, it's Vanessa, and it's my turn to bring you an episode re-release. During our hiatus between seasons two and three, we're revisiting episodes from season one for Women's History Month. This week, we're taking a look back at episode 14, Women in the Biz, The Agent and the Bartender. In this episode, you'll learn about two women who made a name for themselves in alcohol in two very different ways. We hope you join us for season three, which kicks off on March 23rd, 2021, and focuses on women and alcohol all season long. Enjoy.
1: The story that I have for you today is quite different from the stories I feel like we've told before. I like different. One, it's a female. Yay. Two, it's someone on the right side of the law, if you will, not the wrong side of the law during Prohibition. Interesting.
0: Yes. Well, I, it is depends. it the right side of the law? <laughs> I know. Well, that's
1: why I said it. Like, I I know the listeners couldn't see me, but I was kind of like questioning when I said that. But yes, yeah, so she she is going She wanted to, to take alcohol from people. She did, uh, and she has a very interesting nickname. She is called uh, the Lady Hooch Hunter. I thought I'd just get that out at the top. I'm going to say it a lot, and I just need you to prepare yourself.
0: There is actually something funny in my story, like a word that
1: (laughs) I'm going to have to explain as well. Okay. So she has quite a legacy that lives uh, during Prohibition, but she, and her real name is Daisy Simpson, wasn't always on the right side of the law. She kind of grew up quite a delinquent, and she spent many of her younger days in dingy dive bars, participating in illegal drugs, and kind of hanging out with low-level gangsters. She was known as Daisy Simpkins when she was young and later changed her name to Daisy Simpson. And she grew up in San Francisco and just all around not hanging out with the right crowd. And in 1917, she finds herself actually in a sanatorium and being committed and treated And trying to go through recovery to get rid of her addictions to drugs and alcohol. And she was really struggling with it. She even attempted suicide. Wow. So things are not so great as a young woman. But she does eventually recover from her addictions. And she uses all of her knowledge that she's gained from being on the wrong side of the law. And she ends up joining the San Francisco Police Department during World War I. Her experiences with all of those elements of society made her perfect at her new job. She was really, really helpful to the police department because she knew how the criminal, like, low levels of San Francisco worked because she had associated with them <laughs> for so levels. many years. That's what, yeah.
0: Um, I don't know. It just reminded me of video games. So I don't know. <laughs> You're at a low level.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So then once the Volstead Act kicks in and Uh the country is in prohibition, she is now, because she has recovered and is no longer addicted to alcohol, she very much supports the Volstead Act and she wants to help rid the country of alcohol. So as soon as they allow people to sign up, she quickly signs up to join the Internal Revenue Prohibition Unit.
0: I guess it kind of makes
1: sense because
0: alcohol and drugs had had such a negative impact on her life, where she was so low that she then like went the complete opposite,
1: right? And you might remember I've talked about the IRP, yes, in our very first episode. Yep, when I they remember. Came into the Brooklyn Navy Yard, that neighborhood. What's it called? Vinegar Hill. Mm-hmm. And they were smashing all those stills, so that's right. that's essentially who she joined at the time, but in San Francisco. And so that happens about September of 1921. In a great deal of like confidence in her skills as a police officer, she was accepted into the unit, and she was only one of 12 Treasury Department Prohibition agents in the country oh, wow. that were female. In the They're, whole country? In the country. There were many men, but she of was course. one of 12 females who were given the job of field agent. At the time... Women in the unit were mainly secretaries or stenographers, but she was so proficient at being a police officer and so good at her job that they did make her a field agent. Mm-hmm. And does she agent? Oh man, she has quite the legacy because not it's not that she's just a female who's good at her job. She has all of these kind of weird tactics that she uses. Mm-hmm. That really highlight her as a female field agent, so she rapidly becomes a star in the press of the nineteen twenties. A because of the number of raids and B because of the number of arrests that she is able to complete, and her fame is chasing down bootleggers and working undercover on the streets of San Francisco. Seems hard if she was getting a lot of notoriety, right? I am gonna I am gonna get oh, to okay. that. I am okay. gonna get there. Okay, uh, and as she becomes more well known she actually gets sent on secret assignments to Baltimore and Chicago and Milwaukee and New York places where bootlegging was a much larger problem than San Francisco and so as you said how did she do it if she's so famous and they talk about her in the papers all the time how did she get away with it right and that's because she used disguises That was like her gig, her thing. She was a spy. Yeah. She went undercover as many different personalities, and that is how she often was served alcohol and then would turn around and arrest the people who served her. So I have a couple of like small anecdotes. And as I said earlier, the press nicknamed her the Lady Hooch Hunter. (laughs) And so that's how they would refer to her in their newspaper articles. So, often using a disguise, she would spend a few nights in a speakeasy, a hotel, or a restaurant, and she would serve anyone, or she would arrest anyone who had served her alcohol. So, an example of that, she once arrested a bellboy who brought her medicinal whiskey after she complained about stomach pains.
0: That's so rude. I know. How, that's so mean of her. That poor bellhop was
1: like, I'm going to help this nice lady out. Right, I know. So I'm not saying her tactics are great or her legacy is, you know, pristine. Yeah. But it was an interesting method. And if we want to – I mean, it was the law at the time. Yeah. She was just trying but to – But
0: wasn't medicinal alcohol still allowed?
1: Yes, but she didn't really have that. Like oh, yeah, it had to be, like, her – oh, okay, yeah. I get it. Another story, Um, and this is how she did a lot of her arrest – she would pretend to become ill right outside of a speakeasy, and then when they would bring her alcohol to help her make feel better, she would arrest the bartender or the patron that brought it to her. It just seems so sad that these people were trying to help. Yeah, and I they got know. screwed. And she had lots of costumes. They had like over a hundred different costumes that she would dress up like old women, young women, uh, you know. Different mm-hmm. disabilities. She just was a master of disguise, and interesting. there are there are actually famous men prohibition officers who have a lot more fame in that f- like field of disguise. But uh-huh. I don't want to give away their story because I feel like it could be another really interesting story for us okay. to do. But she mimicked what they were doing. She uh-huh. just, as a woman, could do different disguises, right? So here is an article I'm going to read. This is from a paper in Los Angeles printed. uh, It was in uh, March 19th during Prohibition. And it says, bootleggers now are at a disadvantage for they must be polite to ladies. If they are not, they may run into difficulties for the lady may be Miss Daisy Simpson who's been added to the force of dry agents here. She has a roving commission and already is listed as a witness in several liquor cases which she met in her rovings. So they were literally just like telling everyone in Los Angeles, "Hey, yeah. she's here. Just know any lady you come in contact with might be Daisy Simpson." Right. So, and that makes sense because we've talked almost at nauseum of how much of the country were participating in illegal alcohol, right. whether it was moonshine at home or going to speakeasies. So I think this was just one way to kind of alert everyone, hey, these prohibition officers are here and be on the lookout. Yeah. And to try and help help your fellow drinker out. So another area that Daisy proved to be really successful in is helping to find female bootleggers because they were used quite often as kind of an accessory to bootlegging. There's very few... Female bootleggers that ran their own companies, but there were lots of females in the bootlegging business uh-huh. because men at the time were not likely to stop and search a female because it was seen as ill-advised and kind of against the morals of the time. Right. So women were often smuggling alcohol right on their person. You know, like fat. There are like stories of thigh flasks and baby yeah. carriages. And w- male agents wouldn't stop and search a woman, but Daisy could, you know, oh, that's such a cute baby, and, like, move stuff around and find alcohol in a baby carriage and then arrest that woman. Yeah. So she was very helpful in catching female bootleggers. Interesting. Which her male p- counterparts were not able to do. Interesting but
0: not cool, Daisy.
1: Yeah, I'm not... I, <laughs> her story is very interesting, even though... Prohibition in general, not cool. Yeah. She was known to, I kind of said a couple of this, but I want to just, you know, like lots, lots of disguises, lots of faking illnesses, and, you know, lying to people, which actually is what hurt her. Not everyone agreed with her tactics. In fact, there were lots of judges. Mm-hmm. who were very upset at Daisy because she was going around and arresting all of these low, like, no, I almost said low level again, all of these tiny criminals, like right? Like the bellhop. The bellhop and a bartender. And they were really more concerned with trying to bring down the bigger
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, bootleggers and the people who were running the, the giant circles instead of just, like, the bellhop that is just trying to help someone out. And part of her fame is the number of arrests she had, but it's also part of like her infamy because judges were oftentimes like, well, you use that illegal tactic, we're going to let them go. Right. A, because it wasn't really fair to arrest and imprison someone who had done such a small crime, and it was just clogging up the court system right. and taking too much time. So, not every judge and police officer agreed with Daisy's tactics, and thought she was a little bit trivial but she loved the fame that she got and that's why she kept using these same tactics over and over again an article written on February 20th 1925 reported that in just 20 days Daisy had single handedly made 8 arrests she'd confiscated 10,000 bottles of beer 60 cases of gin 12 cases of scotch and a large quantity of wines and other liquor a lot of stuff. Right. A and lot of fun times that
0: she just destroyed. She's she just
1: destroying people's fun times? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny because I keep thinking when you say Daisy of Daisy Jones and the Six. Oh. And Daisy
1: Jones is the very opposite She's of this She She's the woman. very <laughs> opposite of Daisy. Which is a great book if you haven't read it, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to plug that. Let's see. Where was I? Okay. When she was at her home base in San Francisco part of her jurisdiction was actually Napa Valley. So she was known for bringing down quite a few wineries. Mm -hmm. And one most famously, she went in and poured out 8,400 gallons of pre-war vintage wine. (gasps)
0: Vintage wine? That was probably so expensive. uh,
1: At the Fry Brothers Winery. God damn it, Daisy. So she is She just, she's not a fan of the alcohol. But then, even though she had been one of 12 women hired as field agents in 1925, the country kind of went back 10 steps and women were actually banned from being field agents. And she was not really into the idea of becoming a secretary or stenographer. Understandably. Daisy retired in 1925. And it was really hard for her because she had had all this kind of fame and success mm-hmm. as a police officer and as a prohibition agent. And now she was just retired and at home and right. didn't really know what to do. And her days were not so peaceful or retire-like. She actually slipped back into criminal life. What? And I know, I know. I, I think when... You're on, like, the straight and narrow, but then you have, like, these really hard times. I think that is is when people tend to fall back into old habits. Right. And so that's what happens with Daisy. She's actually arrested six months after she retires. So in 1926 with on drug charges in Texas. And she... A couple of the stories that I read said... Like, she called her ex-husband, and she called... Because she does get married at one point. But she calls her friends and her family, and no one is willing to bail her out. So, she's obviously, in this time, kind of lost all personal relationships. So, I'm guessing she was kind of just spiraling. Right. Once she retired. So, unable to make the $2,000 bail and get out of jail, and... Ideally, like, she's going to be facing time in prison, most likely. While she's in custody, Daisy actually attempts suicide again by shooting herself in the stomach. Oh, my God. With a gun she smuggled into the prison. Wow. Right. I know. Crazy. And this, unfortunately, causes a media frenzy because of who she was. Right. So, headlines ran all over the country marking her suicide attempt and she she did injure herself so they got her to a hospital and they were attempting to um, i can't think of words they were attempting to fix her injuries right and, close up and the wound and, yeah because she shot herself in the stomach so i'm sure she messed up some organs yeah and, and one article read that night it's the santa fe Cruz evening news ran a story with the headline daisy simpson fast approaches the end her friends all gone And everyone was just kind of waiting for her to die at this point so they could run these crazy headlines about, you know, the woman who had taken down all these criminals now facing death herself. And her wound became infected and everyone believed she was going to die, but she survived. So that's good for her, I believe. Although all those news articles probably weren't great for her. Like, no self-esteem. Yes she does plead guilty on the drug charges the judge however gives her a suspended sentence saying she doesn't have to serve the time in prison and she retires to a quiet life away from the public spotlight uh, very little from daisy is heard of after this she goes on to get married she has four children and she runs like a motorhome park in Sausalito. And then she lived out the rest of her life and she passes away at home of old age on November 12, 1940. Wow. I know. It's crazy. I know. But the Oakland Tribune, when they're talking about her later in life, they mention, and this is quoted, Daisy was one of the most daring women engaged in detective work in this country. And I kind of like that. So even though, even though she was working during during Prohibition and, you know, dumping out all the pre-war vintage wine, she was actually following the law and trying to do the right thing. And I think she made a lot of steps for women in police work. Right. And was probably on the right side of history. Because she, was, she wasn't doing bad things. Right. Even though I don't agree with prohibition. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? She was doing her job. It's kind of hard yeah. to justify. But she, I like this. I found this on a website. I'm going to give you my choice in a second. But it says Daisy. Uh, Daisy Simpson was able to go from notorious to notable and make a name for women in history. Well, that's nice. I know. So I used two websites to find all my stuff. I used a website called alcoholproblemsandsolutions.org. And then I used an article called SF Centric. So I think it's San Francisco Centric History. The Crazy Life of Federal Lady Hooch Hunter Daisy Simpson. And that was by Alexandria Ziani. And it was like a website, blog. Yeah. And... They were pretty interesting. They had lots of newspaper clippings Uh from actual newspapers of the time.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, you know, again, we both don't agree with prohibition, and we obviously like alcohol, but I think it is important to kind of acknowledge the people that were working. You know, like, it was their job to enforce the law, and they weren't doing something Mm -hmm. bad necessarily, you know, just because... We like alcohol and we want it to be around. Right. So I think it's kind of important to know their stories, too.
1: Right. Well, that's why when I read it, I was like, definitely going to do this story.
0: Yeah. My story today is actually going to be about a famous female bartender. So Ooh. very, very different from your lady. <laughs> she loved alcohol.
1: They wouldn't be friends.
0: No. Her name was Ada Coleman. So Ada was born in 1875 in England. So she didn't have to deal with prohibition. So they wouldn't have crossed paths. Okay. (laughs) She eventually would become the head bartender of the Savoy Hotel in London for 23 years. Oh, wow. And she was one of only two women to hold that title. And (laughs) this is what I was talking about that I'd have to explain. She was credited with creating a cocktail called the Hanky Panky. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> which i will get to later and it's not what you think so coleman's career in the hotel and bar industry started when she was 24 her father had been a steward at the golf club owned by a man named rupert doily cart according to wikipedia doily cart was an english hotelier theater owner and impresario
1: impresario Impresario,
0: which is a person who organizes and often finances concerts plays or operas so he's basically fancy as fuck yes he was impressive (laughs) As an impresario (laughs) (laughs)
1: sorry that was a bad joke
0: (laughs) so it was when Coleman's father died that Doyle Cart offered Ada a job at the golf club and she was so impressive to him that he eventually moved her to a job at one of his fancy hotels called the Clar- claridge claridge or claridge okay she was first placed at the flower shop there and eventually she, of course went, she was like of yeah. course she was placed
1: at the flower shop yeah yeah
0: but she eventually went over to the hotel bar So according to the Daily Beast, it was while she was working at the flower shop that a wine wine merchant at the hotel noticed her and decided to teach her some bar tricks. And she began by serving some simple drinks to hotel guests. And then one day she was called to make her first cocktail. And in an interview she did with the Daily Express, she said, I remember it was Manhattan that I made first and that it was Fisher, the wine butler, who gave me my first lesson. Wine butler. That's a fun job. I know. I wonder what he, he did. Did he just
1: take care of the wine? I think a wine butler is someone like who comes to the table and uncorks it and lets you sample it. Sure. I should have looked that up. I was
0: too busy looking up empresario. I don't.
1: Or my other <laughs> guess. Is there the person that cleans the wine cellar? The butler of wine? Yes. No, but I, think, I do think it's the first one.
0: You know what I'm thinking of now actually did you ever watch Downton Abbey
1: like season one did you ever do you
0: remember seeing a scene with Carson where he's like pouring the wine through like some kind of decanter and but that's what I'm thinking a wine butler does I'm sure that is what they do okay so back in back in (laughs) Wikipedia um, noted some interesting information about the time period that I wanted to share so, according to a study published in 1905, less than half the bartenders in London were women, and they were often referred to as barmaids. Don't like that. <laughs> there were apparently campaigns at the time, unsurprisingly, to get rid of barmaids because it was seen as morally bad to have women being bartenders. I mean, it's it sucks and it's stupid, but it doesn't surprise me that that was. Yeah, thing. it doesn't surprise me, but I don't like it. And another bullshit thing is apparently a lot of bars specified that barmaids had to be 25 or younger so at 24 she was like just getting in under that cap oh wow that's gross and also not
1: that surprising
0: exactly so eventually Coleman got a job bartending at the American Bar of the Savoy Hotel in London which was also owned by Doily Cart and in 1903, she became the head bartender. While she was working there, she gained a really great reputation and was really loved by her customers who called her Coley, I think. Is that Coley? She, yeah. Right? That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> so you'll probably recognize quite a few of her customers' names. They included the likes of Mark Twain, Charlie Chaplin, and the Prince of Wales. Mm-hmm. One of her customers, the Earl of Lonsdale, sounds fancy, wrote that she was so nice and so kind and so full of life and energy. And cocktail historian Ted Hughes, which, like, I want to be a cocktail historian. That sounds awesome. He said, not only was Coley a woman in the world of male bartenders, it was she who made the bar famous. She was known for throwing parties at her own home, and she loved musical theater. So as I mentioned earlier, she was credited with the creation of a cocktail called the Hanky Panky.
1: I can't wait to find out (laughs) what's
0: in this cocktail. So as Coleman continued to work, she began to experiment with different drinks and she became an expert mixologist. So the Hanky Panky, the drink she created, is a combination of gin, vermouth, and Fernet Branca, Mm -hmm. which I don't know what that is. Do you?
1: I mean, I've had it in drinks before. Some kind of liquor. Yes.
0: And it's still served at the American Bar today. The story behind how it was made is pretty cute, so I wanted to share that. So one of Coleman's regular clients was a comedic actor named Charles Hawtree. And in an interview, Coleman said that he was one of the best judges of cocktails that she knew. So in the Daily Express, where she did this interview, she said... Some years ago, when he was overworking, he used to come into the bar and say, Coley, I'm tired. Give me something with a bit of a punch in it. It was for him that I spent hours experimenting until I had invented a new cocktail. The next time he came in, I told him I had a new drink for him. He sipped it, and draining the glass, he said, By Jove, this is the real Hanky Panky. (laughs) And Hanky Panky is what it's been called Mm. ever since. Now, I do want to note that the sources I used noted that hanky-panky did not mean sex in England at the time. It was more like magic or witchcraft. So he was, like, saying, this is real magic that you made. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. That's what they claim. Okay. So in 1925, the Savoy Hotel shut down for renovations, and after almost a quarter of a century, they announced that Ada Coleman would be retiring. Now, some people found this suspicious because there was another well-known female bartender there named Ruth Burgess. She was known as Miss B or Kitty. And she'd started working there the year before Coleman. And the bar announced that she was also retiring. Like, they announced that both female bartenders were retiring at the same time. That is weird. Yeah. Yeah. The person who took over as the new head barman was a man named Henry Craddock, who, according to Wikipedia, had worked the service bar for five years while the women worked the front bar. So he was working the service bar in the back and got promoted to be front of the bar. Craddock went on to write the Savoy Cocktail Book, which, according to Daily, The Daily Beast, became an essential reference book for the modern cocktail revival 70 years after it was written. He only included one drink created by Coleman, which was, of course, the Hanky Panky, and it was also noted that Craddock was credited for creating a drink called the White Lady Cocktail, which was a popular drink for a while. It had gin, Cointreau, lemon juice, and, like I said, was just a popular drink for a while, so I wanted to include that. It sounds delicious. It does sound good. Like you should try refreshing. ordering ordering a White Lady Cocktail.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I would <laughs> As I said it, I realized that going up to a bar and ordering... Can I have the white lady cocktail? We're going to (laughs) get...
0: Not a great idea. Never mind. (laughs) We'll make one ourselves.
1: Well, we can just order the cocktail, like... The
0: ingredients. With
1: the ingredients. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Anyway...
0: there are a couple of theories of why coleman and ruth were retired and a couple of them involve craddock which is why i wanted to talk about him a little bit so the first theory is that coleman was a mentor to craddock and was kind of taking him under her wing so that he could take over for her two people that wrote a book called the cocktail hour called named tenya and andre darlington said Coleman was a mentor to Harry Craddock, who worked under her for four years. However, there's really no evidence of their relationship to each other or whether they interacted much at all. And the Daily Beast notes that it's kind of telling that he had this whole cocktail menu about the Savoy Hotel and only credited her with one cocktail. Yeah, that
1: kind of seems like bullshit.
0: Yeah. So theory number two, which seems to be much more popular is that the women were forced out because Craddock didn't like the idea of having two women above him which like this was the 1920s so that wouldn't be that surprising even though it sucks Uh, yeah
1: I mean I just if they were better then they were better
0: right and in an article I read on vinepair.com the author of the article mentions that it suggested Coleman was possibly forced out of the American bar because Craddock wasn't Super happy with a female head bartender, like I said. But there was no evidence of this either. Although people did kind of feel that he was kind of full of himself. And would likely not want to be shown up, especially by a woman.
1: So, just to use a man.
0: Yep. So, the last theory suggests, again, that both women were forced out. But it doesn't blame Craddock. It blames Americans
1: like just all of us yeah okay
0: so it's worth noting that Craddock trained in the U.S. and that American bars quote-unquote were popular in England which the Daily Beast noted served American-style drinks heavy on the ice which like I don't like why were they popular then who wants more ice in their drink
1: well wait hold on read the sentence again
0: so American bars were popular in England, and the Daily Beast noted that Amer- they served American style drinks heavy on the ice.
1: Well, I think that that's because in England it's not typical. Like most places you go and you order a cold drink, it's served no ice. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that they served cocktails with ice, which was it made popular. them popular. And I mean, it is an American thing. Yeah.
0: Anyway, apparently it was much less likely for women to be bartenders in America than in England during that time. So it didn't sit very well with Americans who were visiting England. And because some of this was during Prohibition in America, the bar was often full of American customers who were just put off by having women as bartenders. Because we suck, apparently.
1: Americans are always ruining stuff. <laughs> so,
0: British cocktail journalist Alice Lascellas wrote in Ten Cocktails, The Art of Convenial Drinking, Americans, unlike the British, found the notion of female bartending troubling. However, against this theory, Susan Scott, who's an archivist at the Savoy Hotel, said the idea of the change being made to accommodate americans is definitely untrue the hotel had and still has a large american client base but the american bar was intended intended to appeal not only to visitors to london but also to some extent predominantly to the local clientele no one americans included had minded being served by women previously so she was kind of trying to debunk that that whole theory but because there's really no evidence of the relationship between Coleman and Craddock or any actual ideas of the bartender, bar owners from back then, we'll probably know why she act. we'll never know why she actually retired.
1: Right.
0: So there were some rumors after she left that she went back to working at the flower shop. Ugh. But that was never proven. What we do know is that she eventually took a part-time job managing the girls' managing the girls that worked in a ladies cloakroom at the Berkeley Hotel which Did I feel like sad It does and I feel like it's kind of evidence that she was forced out because it's not that she wanted to stop working. Right, she kept working. She just not wasn't working at a bar. So Craddock stayed at the Savoy until 1938 and he left to open another bar at the Dorchester Hotel. So he fucking left them if they forced her out. Well, and if they were screwed.
1: Yeah, but if he wrote that book that then goes on, Yeah. it actually probably worked out for him.
0: So Ada Coleman died at the age of 91 in 1966. She had a nice long life. And in her interview with the Daily Express, she estimated that she'd served sorry, 100,000 customers and poured one million drinks. Wow. Her cocktail, the Hanky Pinky, like I said, is still served. And in 2015, it was listed by Drinks International as one of the 50 best-selling cocktails. And in 2016, Liquor.com listed Coleman as one of the nine most important bartenders of all time.
1: Wow. So,
0: still some nice recognition for her all these years later. Right. And according to Wikipedia, bartenders at the Savoy still speak of her as an iconic legend. Oh, that's so like nice. she was never really forgotten. People still really appreciate the work that she did. And he's just a asshole. Well, he wrote a really popular book that became a manual.
1: I know, but and I he just... might not
0: be. It might have been the hotel's fault, but he mm-hmm. might have been an asshole.
1: I like to believe it's his fault.
0: Yeah, I feel like it probably was. But I'm
1: glad that like sorry she... to any
0: descendants mm-hmm. of the Craddock line.
1: I'm glad that she got or is now getting the recognition that she deserves. Exactly. And that is
0: the story of Ada Coleman. Um, I got a lot of my information from a lot of places that I've already cited. Wikipedia, an article on the Daily Beast called "What Ended." Wait, you
1: used Wikipedia?
0: Yeah. Isn't that shocking?
1: I can't believe it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I never use them. (laughs) Donate to Wikipedia. (laughs) An article on the Daily Beast called What Ended the Career of the World's First Celebrity Female Bartender by Wayne Curtis and an article on VinePair.com called Ada Coleman, one of history's most famous female mixologists by Emily Bell. And all of those places used a lot of quotes from an interview Coley did with the Daily Express. So got to throw them some credit too. Awesome. Yeah. Laura and I hope you enjoyed this re-release. We have one more to come before season three launches on March 23rd. If you want to see pictures of the women featured in this episode, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at a tap on the wrist and email us with any story ideas at tap on the wrist at gmail.com. Happy Women's History Month. Cheers.